right, everybody, talk about it outdoors live in the Wilson studio. One more time again, Nick, Cody, Alex, we're ready to kick it up and kick it loud. We got a fine one for y'all tonight going to the inner sanctum, the inner city. Mr. Bailey Combs with Suburban Whitetail, the Cherokee County Hammer himself has graced us with his presence. I'll pull up a chair set a while. Nicholas, it seems like it's been forever since I've talked to you, old buddy. How are you? Doing good, man. Thanksgiving is coming past, and I'm slap full. How about you? Well, I don't know if I'm slap full. I'm still eating turkey. <laughs> we froze about half of what we had. Jessica cooked enough to feed an army, and I uh, I can tell you what, it was delicious to eat. And You spent your time down in South Georgia eating with all the folks, didn't you? Yeah, and I ate some more crow down there, too. <laughs> I got a string of bad luck, boys. <laughs> you carried it right into, right into South Georgia two year, with you? Two years going. <laughs> Well, you know, hey, it happens from time to time. Cody, have a good Thanksgiving, buddy. Had a great Thanksgiving. Went camping with the family and ate more than I should have, and we had a good time. How sure. the how'd the camper treat you? Good, except after we for, drug it back from from drug Illinois. it back and uh, got there the first night, and it was like thirty five degrees, and uh, realized somehow during the week of. Illinois, we ran that thing out of gas. We're debating on this. I told him it was running the air conditioner more than we was the propane, so we must have left it on outside something, somehow. Something happened, and we left it on. Cause I honestly believe Caden told me the next morning, he said, I smell gas, and the tank was on, and it may have leaked out of that. It may have. Stone. Well, I'll tell you what, you don't want to leave it on because I just got my propane bill, and it's 251 a gallon. Phew, Lord. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I don't have to worry about that all the time <laughs> over, at the electric, over at the electric compound. I don't have any gas. But, you know, we, we've been talking about this for a while, Nick, after we, we made contact with uh, the Suburban Whitetail guys and had the opportunity to kind of follow along with what they're doing. And right here in our backyard, stomping our, stomping our weeds down and, and killing some deer that, you know, you and I and Cody have grown up wishing we could kill and absolutely dropping the hammer on it. And one of their team members, Mr. Bailey Combs, has joined us here tonight, and uh, we can't can't thank you enough for coming and being with us so welcome i'm very thankful to be here guys i've, I've seen a lot of y'all's work over the last couple of months you guys have been really been on the scene for, i mean i see you guys all over instagram all the time so i'm excited to be here we're trying we're trying we're, trying. we're getting we're getting there <laughs> we're slowly pushing. but surely and we're pushing through and you know it's uh it's a lot of fun to get to talk to people live in studio and have you here with us. I think the interaction gets a lot more uh, feedback than we can, you know, kind of cut, cut up and whatever and have a good time with it. So Yeah, especially after the COVID year when everything was so virtual. It's it's especially with my work too. I mean, it's all Zoom calls, so seeing people face to face is fantastic. It's kind of a different <laughs> feeling than it used to be. You used to talk to everybody face to face and now it's all we do is Zoom calls. I know, right? I know. So I want to uh, I'm gonna let you kind of kick this thing off, Nick, because um I, this is a, a relationship that you founded through a coworker of yours and kind of got in touch with these guys. And you know I know there's been a lot of buzz around the deer that you've got to kill this year, and we'll definitely talk about them. But you know I'm gonna let you kind of take the reins and, and kick it up. And see well, what we well first and foremost, he killed two fabulous Cherokee County deer this year, and uh, that's kind of what sparked our interest in it. We saw we saw it on our Instagram page, and I thought, well, why not? Why not bring it back home? We've been talking to a lot of guests outside of state. Why not bring it back home? And it just happened to work out for us here. So, Bailey, before we get into all that, won't you take us way back to when you first started hunting? Who got you into hunting? Where'd you get your start at? So, it's funny. I, I grew up, you know, my dad, probably around the age of six, seven, or eight, I noticed, man, around the fall, my dad, he's, he's gone a couple of weekends, you know, in you know November, December. I was like, man, what is he doing? I mean, I just didn't, I didn't even have a clue. It was just mom's like, yeah, dad's out of town. 
And eventually I was like, Dad, what, where are you going all these times? You know, where are you going? He's like, well, I'm, I'm hunting. You're not old enough yet for me to feel comfortable taking you out there. But, you know, when you're seven or eight, we'll go out there and do it. So I just remember for, like, that whole year I was going to turn, like, seven or eight years old. I was like, all right, Dad's going to take me to do whatever he does on these weekend trips. <laughs> and uh, I remember the first time I went, it was at a property down in Grantsville. And <laughs> I think we sat probably seven or eight times a year. I didn't see a deer mm. that entire first season. I was like, man, I, I was like, I know it's called hunting. I was like, but surely at some point somebody's going to shoot something, right? <laughs> and I just remember the anticipation of even seeing a deer. It had built over that whole year. And that next year we ended up getting on a better piece of ground actually in Alabama. And – I just remember, for one reason or another, it just it took me so long to shoot my first deer. I mean, it was probably two and a half years, um, and you know, I started doing it. And you know, any time another guy in camp would shoot a buck, I don't know. There was just something about putting your hands on, you know, the the rack of a deer. I was just like, man, I just can't wait for the moment when I get to do this on my own. And I mean, I was just hooked ever since. And I remember the first decent buck I shot was a six-pointer. I was probably 11 years old. And I, I just remember it was sitting out in the garage, had the skull cap on it and everything. I just remember it was like three, four times a day I'd just go out there and, and just hold that Pick thing. Up, yeah. Hold on to it. yeah, I was like, man, this is such a long time coming. Uh, and, yeah, it was just in my blood. I was like, there's just something about it. You know, I don't, I don't golf. I don't, you know, any of that stuff. It was, it's deer hunting. That is my favorite thing to do. You ask anybody I know, they're like, what's the one thing that Bailey does? It's, he is a deer hunter through and through. And, you know, my dad just got me hooked on it. You do you know? think that struggle early on is what kind of, you know, sparked it and made you want it even more? It 100% did. I mean, the guys that, you know, I, you know, when I started hunting, the guys that like shot a deer right off the bat, they're like, oh, this is fun, you know. But I don't know, there was something about the chase and really having to work for it that made me not take it for granted. Um, and I, it's, it's just one of those things. And, I, you know, as I figured things out and, you know, it got a little easier to see more and more deer, you know, I'm not just walking out there willy-nilly. Right. But, yeah, 100%, it made me want it a whole lot more. So you, sound, you almost sound like you kind of grew up like we did, like going out of town, camping, hanging out at a hunting camp. Has those times changed for you from then to now? It looks a lot different now because, <laughs> yeah. you know, when you're hunting in the suburbs, you're usually on your own. You're not really sharing properties. I mean, you might, but you lose some of the camaraderie that you do around, you know, hunting camp. So the suburban whitetail guys, you know, there's a couple guys in Birmingham. There's a couple of us here in Atlanta. We try to get that kind of feeling back, you know, after one of us shoots a deer, we'll go back to, you know, one of the guys' house and, kind of celebrate it that way but there is something different about you know coming back and sitting around a campfire and telling stories and you know skinning the deer right there on the property it's it's, it's you lose a little bit of that but i feel like what you gain from getting access to some of these places is so much more so yeah and i think that's one thing we've touched on a bunch over the last year is the loss of the hunting camps i mean because us is hunters anywhere we're not doing it like we used to there's still a lot of clubs out there there's still a lot of guys that do it especially deep south i mean they spend a lot of time but us traveling to south georgia is not something that we get to do as much anymore it's just something we don't do but we go out of state together we get to spend time together in illinois or iowa or wherever we travel to 
Um, and I think it's it's interesting to hear your take on it because that's you didn't just start hunting in a subdivision. No, you know, not and, at all. And that's the key thing I wanted to touch on with that. Yeah, and it really started. You know, I I played baseball at Tech, and Go every dogs. every yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's funny. I I I was committed to Georgia. I was. I mean, a diehard. Dogs fan. Probably even, still are a little even, bit. Yeah, even this last weekend, everybody was saying, like, man, don't you help, you know, Tech pulls out a miracle. I'm like, not really. I was like, I don't want, you know, Tech to go in and do something crazy. They have no chance to do anything right, this right. year. So let's just let them go ahead and do – I mean, they were going to do it anyway. But I was like, I no, I don't want them to win. <laughs> right. I want us to keep going. And there's a lot of even the Tech baseball guys. That, oh, yeah. You know, we, we, we support the school, but, I mean, all of us grew up Georgia football fans. So That's right. You know, it's hard to kind of lose that side, but it's a better baseball school. Yeah, it really, it really is. And you know, I, at the time, I was less concerned with okay, which school is right. historically better. It was I want to go play for Georgia, um, and it ended up. You know, it, my whole plan was there was a farm that we hunted that was like thirty minutes from Athens. <laughs> and I was like, this is gonna be great. I'll you know do my baseball thing and I'll go get to hunt on weekends. Turns out, I ended up having Tommy John surgery, then. The coaching change happened because I committed under Perno. I didn't commit under Strickland. New coach was coming from out of town, never even seen me before. It was like prime time. It was like junior right. year. Like signing day was really close. And when he kind of balked, Danny Hall at Tech was like immediately like, if if you want to play here, you can play here. And I just couldn't pass up that opportunity. And it turned out to be for the better. Right. Um, but it, the whole suburban thing started when I'm like, okay, now I'm in Atlanta. I'm two and a half hours from a farm. I have practice all week, including Sundays and Fridays. So it's literally Saturdays all I got. So I was like, I want to maximize this as much as possible. And I was like, I'm I'm going to go out and see if I can get some spots as close to Atlanta as I can, so that you know I can continue to do what I love to right. do. And I just remember the, you know, I kind of got on a map. I didn't even really know what I was looking for, but I'm just kind of zooming out on a map of Atlanta. I'm like, okay, if I was a deer that was trying to hide from people around the, where would I go? You know, and there was a, I remember near where my high school was, there was a, you know, probably 30, 40 acres that backed up between a major road and a big neighborhood where we had seen deer, you know, driving into school that run across the roads. So like, let's start there. And I just remember there was just some kind of a, a high you get from putting out a camera behind a house where you nobody's really paying any attention and you get deer on camera that smoke anything that I had at any of the farms I was hunting. I mean, it was just, I remember for like three months, I was just showing pictures of all my buddies like, look at this deer that's behind this house. In the middle of a subdivision. Yeah, where all of us drive past for years and never thought about even trying to get permission to hunt there. So, And you had gained permission to hunt that property at that time? I did. I asked the lady, and I was like, <laughs> I remember, especially the first time asking for permission, I was like, I don't know what to say to yeah, these yeah, people. Right. I mean, in most cases, you're trying to convince somebody to not only let you shoot a living animal behind their house, but, you know, they have kids, they, you know, the whole nine yards. Right. They're like, you want to use a weapon to do what? I mean, they're, it, you, I've found that it's like you might get one yes in 20 houses that you knock on. Right. And it's usually that one person that's like, oh, thank God you're here. They're eating my flowers. You know, it's either that or like, 
let me, I'm calling the police. You know, it's, it's, right. it gets that dramatic. How would you present yourself to those people? So I've kind of refined what I say over the years. Do you really, want to share with some people so that? Yeah, I, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> you don't have, you don't to, go have through, to give all your stuff. I was going to say, I know Lee and Drew have their whole kind of deer, you know, suburban hunting package. Uh, they have their own spiel, but. I mean, for me, I try to focus more on the positives of what we're doing. Not it's it's not just me killing an animal, but you know the fact that there's not really any natural predators to a lot of these deer. Yeah. I mean, even if there was a thousand coyote, I mean, it's just they they multiply so fast. They do a lot of damage, whether it's hitting people, you know, in their cars. I mean, I've seen so many of those in the past two or three years in these suburban areas, especially in the places where it's been really hard for me to get permission. And I've slowly started to notice that more and more of those people are going, okay, enough's enough. You know, I may not be for it, but clearly there's something that needs to happen here. But, the, but is that, is that a, uh, a go-to right off the bat or is it just kind of an opening? Hey, so I'll tell you part of my tactic is I never, I never show up in camo. I never show up in anything that look, you know, I'm not wearing boots or anything like that. I'm normally walking up in the most casual city slicker clothes possible. Right. Non-threatening to a lot of these people, especially where the good deer are. You walk up in that stuff, they're already going to be red flagging you. So I, I normally come up. Redneck. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what most of these people see, especially in these city areas. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the bigger parcels are owned by pretty wealthy people. They're, right. You know. So I, I normally come up and introduce myself. I don't immediately get into the deer hunting thing. Just I try to develop a relationship a little bit, you know, tell them who I am, where I'm from, where I grew up. Um, and hopefully, usually there's some, you know, um, there's one degree of separation between that person and somebody else I know. Right. So hopefully there's a connection there that I can make. But, yeah, I never, I never lead <laughs> with that right off the bat. I kind of slowly build to it. And usually I can kind of tell just by the way they're talking if they're <laughs> if they're gonna receive what I'm about to ask very well. Would um, you would you rather see the male homeowner or the female homeowner? You know, it's I've actually had more luck when the wife answers the door than the husband. And I don't know if it's you know, she she sells it better than I do. I don't I right. don't know, but there's a I have noticed that if, if if I hear, let me talk to my husband and I'll get back to you, the odds go up way more than if I talk to the husband and he says, let me talk to my wife. Because <laughs> <laughs> if, it's, if it's the other way around, and usually the wife is just going to tell you flat no. Right. If she's willing to ask her husband, usually the guy's like, yeah, go ahead. You know, No worries. Do you get into the whole, why do you shoot deer? Or why would you take a precious animal like that? And do you try to explain? I do if they if like sometimes they're just you know say you know would you uh, you know would you be for any sort of uh, you know archery hunting back here behind your house for any of these deer and normally they're like eh, you know they'll kind of waver back and forth I'm like well let me tell you why it's important that I do it right and I'll get into the fact that you know a lot of these deer they you know they produce so fast in a lot of these areas that there one, there's not enough food to really support the population. If you didn't have suburban hunters like me and they're thin in the herd. Right. I mean, eventually, you know, there might be enough just natural browse out there for a lot of these deer, but eventually they're going to turn to the next thing they can get, which is going to be your flowers and your front yard. Yep. 
and they do that a lot. Um, so much so that a lot of these homeowners actually have to feed corn to keep them from eating their flowers. So, I mean, there's a there's a lot of, of benefits to it. And for another, a lot of times in the areas I'm knocking, there's been a recent car wreck where somebody or homeowners hit a deer with their car. People get hurt. You know, a couple of weeks ago, there was a Seek One episode where they were literally sitting in the stand when that deer got hit by the car. That happens right. all the time. And once they really start to see, okay, you're not just in it to kill something. You know, I, some of the meat we even give away. I mean, there's That's what some, I was of, ask some of the best deer that we get on camera are in severely, you know. Malnourished state. Malnourished state. And a lot of these deer are also in communities that can use the meat. Right. I mean, especially during COVID when, you know, you go to a grocery store and there's nothing there. You know, a lot of these homeowners that I've started getting permission on, you know, I start with, you know, yes, I'm, I'm here to shoot deer, but I'm also willing to give you the meat, you know, portions of it to make sure you're all right. Because some of them are, are pretty poor families that right. need it. Um, and I've, I've, I've noticed that that is something that they really appreciate because it, it becomes more about, you know, providing food for your family, providing food for other people, and really trying to monitor the population, really focusing more on sort of the, the conservation side of what we do. And I think that's really the connecting point with a lot of these non-hunters. You know, some of the population just see you guys are just killers. You just enjoy it. But when you really try to lead with reason, <laughs> they take it a whole lot better. Um, and that's something I've tried to refine over the years. And I haven't perfected it. But I've noticed that that's really the way I need to lean is more towards having my points lined up about the the conservation and taking care and managing the deer herd. And I think that's a big thing for the non-hunting public. You know, the people that, that are, they're not against it. They just don't understand it. And when they exactly. get an explanation from someone that can make them understand it in a way that they can see it as a positive, it doesn't only help your perception as a hunter or or what the way they perceive us it helps them if they see a hunter at the gas station with a deer or whatever and they have a way to explain to their children okay they see a hunter drive by with a deer on there and they've never had any interaction with a hunter they they got an immediate negative uh, uh expectation of what that yeah. hunter is and you've delivered yourself in a positive manner to them and even shown them a positive light in the hunting community so now they've got a way they can explain it to their children. Like, well, they have to do it because of this, because you've educated them. And that's mm -hmm. not, I think that's a big thing. But there's that, nobody out there educating them. Exactly. And that's you know, what, yeah. you know, but they don't, they choose not to, to listen to it in a lot of respects because they don't listen to a podcast about hunting. <laughs> they don't watch, you know, YouTube videos yeah. about hunting. But, you know, we've talked about it a lot, the way Meat Eater's done with explaining his that's stuff right. and, you know, kind of educated the public on this is why we do this. It's not... Now, granted, we all like killing deer. I ain't yeah, going to yeah. sit here and say that I don't. But when we deal with the non-hunting public, you have to deliver yourself. And if you deliver yourself in a negative light, you're going to ruin it for everybody, not yeah. just the people that give you permission. You're going to ruin it for everybody out there because they're immediately going to say, this jackass showed up at my door wanting to hunt, and he was a, you know, a jerk about it, and he got mad and stormed off. Well, you just ruined it for everybody then. Well, people think that, you know, Killing that animal is wrong, but that animal is going to provide you or whoever you may give that animal to for food. They they think, let's go to the grocery store up here. That stuff's, they're just making that stuff in the back of that grocery store, you know? 
that meat's just where's that meat coming from? It's coming from a processed farm that they're treating those animals like crap. But people don't think about that kind of stuff. Well, and carrying capacity is a real thing. Like you educating, I mean, there is only a certain amount of deer that are supposed to live on a certain amount of acreage right. before you start running into diseases and malnourishment and issues of that. So I mean, technically, there's probably a lot of deer that need to be killed in those suburban areas that will probably die of natural causes. That's oh, right. Yeah. And it, that's been something that we've had to put more of an emphasis on because it's it's easy when you're hunting the suburbs to get caught up in the buck that you're after. Right. But if you get so caught up in shooting that buck, you're really not doing what you said you were going to do. Yeah. Because there's so many does that you pass up over the course of the year that you probably should have, you know, you probably should have taken. And if you delay that over several years, I mean, it it just, you know. It, it hurts you. you. You try to live by what you're actually telling people. Are, right. you, are you there to monitor the herd? Are you there? And there's some houses that say, we only want you to take a buck. They have something they don't want you to shoot a doe. They say, we see them all the time. You can shoot the buck. And we respect what the homeowner wishes. But usually we try to explain to them, if you really want us to do what we're trying to do, you need to let us harvest the appropriate amount of deer in a lot of these spots because you're exactly right. And that probably helps your chances of seeing that deer that you are that you have on camera. It does. By taking those, those does out. It does. And that buck has to travel through that area yeah. to find them because now they're gone. Where he had four over at Betty's house, now they're gone. <laughs> yeah, and if you go back over the last five years and any of the bucks that I've killed, it's always when the bucks are on a food cover pattern. During the rut, it's extremely hard for exactly that reason. It, it They don't have to move. Yeah, it, there's so many does I mean, I mean, it's just it just makes it a whole lot harder. And if you have if the spots that I do have sort of a a, a, a more healthy buck to doe ratio, it's it is a lot easier to kind of figure out where he's probably going to be. But <laughs> in those places where guys are just, especially the place, I mean, usually the places where guys are getting the biggest deer, there's so many does, and it's so hard to kill them during the rut. It really is. So that's a good point. I mean, just that's all that all that makes sense because all those does, and I think that's what's happening. Not going back to my season, but I think that's what's going on with us and where we hunt upstate here, up in Illinois. So I think we just got too many does, and that's allowing those bigger bucks not to travel. Yeah. And not show up. So makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm glad you seen a lot of does because I dang sure did. <laughs> well, there's there's a bunch there. So we can I, go up there and we can go like on the doe in mission. If well, you, said, you said that last year about up there where y'all we hunt. We did. You, the state mm-hmm. was doing a good good job on people taking them out. And I actually heard this other day talking about these states. We personally probably don't want to go kill 12 deer in Georgia, but somebody smarter than us is doing research that we need to kill 12 deer in Georgia. We may not feel like that's right for a certain area, but they're telling you that for a reason that those deer need to be taken out. It may not be up here in Cherokee County. It may not be in Pickens County, north of here, you know, where the deer's – but there's somewhere that 12 deer probably – whether, whatever their ratio is needs to be taken out because mm-hmm. there's too many deer. Well, I swear that term Leon, and you hear us talk about going to Leon in one. Leon Kirkland back in the 80s preached that. He was the DNR head, and he preached it. That's why Uncle Wyvern then said, boys, we got to kill more deer. <laughs> and they was hammering them all. I mean, that, yeah. that's what they called it Leon, and we're going to go Leon one this morning. And that's what it was. And even back then, they realized we need to manipulate the population by increasing tag limits so people can – take more deer and they can take more out of the herd and it creates a, and it breeds a healthier deer. I mean, 
we all know that as outdoorsmen and conservationists. If a deer ain't got something to eat, they're going to go find something to eat. And it's usually across a major highway where they don't want to go. And you wind up with, you know, 8, 10, 12 run over in a two-mile stretch. And I think a lot of that uh, goes back to now we're getting into this. It used to be kill everything. Brown is down. And now it's going to let's kill the biggest buck we can find. And we quit shooting all these does. Mm-hmm. So now we got all these small bucks running around and nothing to show for it. Yeah. I think a lot of people are afraid to shoot does in areas like that because I think they're afraid it'll mess it up. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll, it'll scare them big bucks off. Well, and I think for me in the areas that I've hunted, I don't want to shoot a doe because I've got an opportunity in there to, to harvest a buck. And if I get that buck killed and it runs into the neighbor's yard and I get it, okay, fine, I'm out of there, I've got my buck killed. If I shoot a doe and it runs over into that neighbor's yard and dies, and then I've got to deal with that and I don't get permission from them because the neighbor bitched about me hunting there you know that's that's what i get scared Mm -hmm. of and when we used to hunt over around alpharetta jared would always be like don't shoot a doe right here you know (laughs) make sure we don't shoot a doe right here only because we may have an opportunity that it runs into the neighbor's yard and we lose that permission because we shot a doe have you you ran into that i i have a good story about that that i'll actually get to but i wanted to get to your point about you know shooting does especially like all these suburban areas, the really good spots usually aren't a big secret to guys that live in that area. Right. You know, you've seen the big patches of woods. You're going, oh, man, I, I bet there's deer that I want to hunt there. Everybody lives in that area that hunts suburban. They know that. And when you have a permission at a house and a guy's got permission in another house 200 yards down the way and another 300, there's six or seven guys that are probably hunting this one deer right. if he's a good deer. Nobody wants to be the guy to shoot that doe and go to your point, you know, okay, well now I'm kind of out of the game. Cause I just, you know, I'm probably spooked him out. He's going to run down to the next guy. I mean, that that's kind of how you feel. Cause I mean, I, I personally know some of my spots where there's, there's guys literally hunting within a hundred yards of where my stand is because they're three houses down. So, you know, you kind of feel like you're hurting your chances. And a lot of people want to shoot does early in the season, but that's probably when you can pattern those big bucks the easiest, right? Yeah, I mean, the last four or five years, if you go back and look on our Suburban Whitetail page, we've had so much success in September because we, I mean, we start months and months in advance. We're not let it sit and put out a bag of corn or something like that, you know, two weeks before season start. It is months in the planning to where they're so used to going to that food and it's not something new. It's not something quick to where we have a ton of success early season. And then we have a lot of success late season. Right. But that sort of middle section, it's anybody's guess. I mean, we literally have bucks that we have on camera. We have on camera five miles down the road where you're like, how many roads did he have to cross to get to that patch of woods? That I mean, was, it that, just <laughs> that was one of my questions. What hunting that, what was, did you like early season, the rut phase or late season? I, I love early season. Yeah. I mean, if you know, I there I I literally thought that I was I was gonna shoot both of those deer that I shot this season within the first week of the season. I I, I had them so patterned that I was like, I bet you I can get in here and shoot one, I bet you I can give it two days and come back here and shoot the other one. It didn't exactly happen that way, but early season has been incredibly good. I mean, a lot of these suburban deer especially you know, I when I hunted out at farms and stuff like that, where there's a lot of ground for them to run, you know, when they shed their velvet, it was like, man, I don't know where they're at. Right. Something about these suburban areas, especially these bigger deer, they're there because they feel safe. Right. There's not a whole lot of 
You know, if they do leave when they shed their velvet, they're probably not more than a mile or two from where you're at. And it really just depends on how big the parcel is. If it's, if it's a big parcel of woods, I've noticed they tend to stay. They don't really leave. Right. Every buck that I had on camera early season at a lot of these spots were there the whole season. They didn't leave. But some of these smaller parcels that I get that are not surrounded by big patches of woods, they'll get in a finger and they'll disappear. So, But early season is critical. Do you feel like there's uh, – well, let me ask it this way. <clears throat> has there been a deer that you've chased that has just – gotten you to the point of just immense frustration and then disappear and you never see him again and wonder did someone poach him did he get hit by a car or whatever what's that what's the area that that deer's been in and i mean i you don't have to go into specifics but you know is it, it i know there's been one on your mind that stuck out over the over the course of this time frame you've been doing this so there's two there's two that keep me up at night there's one that was out in peachtree corners I'm fine saying that. There's plenty of people that know about Peachtree Corners. It's no secret. And we had watched him for several years, and he was a hammer at four. I mean, it took everything, and that was a spot that the co-founder of Suburban White told me, Brian and I, we both hunted that spot. And we had passed on him. We had both seen him. And it took a lot of uh, patience not to shoot that deer because it was one of those spots where there was a lot of hunters pretty close by and we had had him on camera every year for like three years and we were like opening it was that summer going into the fall Mm -hmm. and just never got a picture he was a homebody all four years we were following gon and all the other pages to see if somebody would post him we would text all the guys that we knew there were hunter and nobody's seen him so it's just one of those deer where he's just like a ghost and he just truly just disappeared Something happened to him. He got he yeah. got hit by a hit car, by car or, or something. But it was just not having the closure of knowing, okay, that guy took him. Okay, fine. Right. And just, you know, it hurts. But there was another one. I mean, this deer had to be 24 inches wide. I mean, it was, it was probably the biggest framed deer I've ever had on camera. And it was another spot that Brian and I were pretty close by. He had gotten permission at a parcel. I had gotten permission at a parcel. And he had spent time between both. But there was a lot of guys that hunted around there as well. Same thing. Just ghosted. Just ghosted. And we know that that deer was at least 10 years old. God almighty. Because the parcel that Brian got permission on, some guys from South Georgia hunted there for years. But this guy had to move for work, and he was going back down to South Georgia. And he he, he was nice enough to kind of give Brian some intel. He's like, there's this one deer that, you know, he was at least 170 inches at five, he goes, and that was in like 2016. He's a magnum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he goes, so he is old as dirt and he is smart. And we only had a few daylight pictures of this deer. And it was always at the weirdest times, like times you'd never expect, like one like one in the afternoon in early season. When you're just like, who, who goes? Yeah. Yeah. So you, it was just one of those things where you just couldn't pat on the steer and he just flat out disappeared. Probably died of old age. Yeah. That's Being what, that's what, 10, you know. I mean, so, but yeah, it just disappeared on us. No, we, nobody posted him. But it's funny the amount of people that we run into that found out, oh, yeah, we're hunting in this general area. They're like, have you seen that deer? Everybody's got a different name for him. Yeah. I've heard bulldozer, I've heard all kinds of things. <laughs> and you're like, I know, I know what you're talking about. And you show them the picture, you're like, yeah, that's that deer. Because it was about 300 acres, so there's so many guys that bordered this property. 
So, do you just hunt suburban areas now? To just that's it. Yeah, I just hunt suburban. I haven't shot a deer with a gun in probably six or seven years. So you don't go out of state. You don't spend any time anywhere else. I do. I do want to start going to you know the Iowa, Illinois, and do some of the more out west hunts. I just haven't recently, but. I, I probably will do that. I just, I just love. There's something about the suburban setting. That's He's knocking just, down one sixties here. He ain't got to yeah, go nowhere. Yeah. Well, and the reason I ask is, is, and and this is going to be. I don't mean this controversial or anything yeah. else. So don't take it that way. But the perception is, guys hunting suburban areas, you can't hunt like everybody yeah. else does. I mean, and I'm curious as to what your take on that is because. I mean, you you see it. I mean, you know, I'm going to get into the hate side of it a little bit later and how you compound that. But you see those people that come out, and I, I mean, you got haters. They're going to be there, yeah. and, and I just I just am curious as to what your thought is behind. You know, you're hunting behind a house. You're hunting a subdivision area. You're hunting a suburban area. How do you transition back to hunting in those areas that aren't like that? And you haven't yet per se. But what's your plan for that? And you know, what's your thoughts on it? So I think it it it's it has very different challenges. You know, hunting a huge parcel of land, the challenge is that deer can go anywhere he wants to. There's nothing that limits him. Right. And in some cases, it's the same in suburban areas. I mean, they can cross a road and get into another patch of woods. But at the end of the day, there's only so many places they can hide. Right. You know, if you say, okay, I found that deer in that patch of woods, let's let's zoom out a mile. Where's all the places he could possibly go? Mm-hmm. But what makes it difficult is having houses and structures and roads and things. It changes how you hunt the wind, how you enter into your stand. There's just some things that there's no way I can come in and not be downwind of this deer because right. that's the only way in. You know, so it's a it's a lot of weird things like that. If you're hunting a big parcel of land, you know, you can there's nothing really prohibiting you from okay, I can get in from this way and and be downwind he won't smell me but i can't walk through somebody's backyard and it'd be perfect so there's just certain things like that that make it different i wouldn't say either one is more challenging than the other i've done both i've killed good deer doing both right it's just a lot of the the difficulty with suburban hunting is access that makes that, a that's lot the of sense. that's the biggest limiting factor there's a lot of guys i know they're no smarter than me they're no better than me that don't shoot the deer that I do simply because they don't take the time to go out and ask and get permission. Right. You know, I, I wouldn't say that I'm something special. I think anybody can do what I'm doing. I think that's the fun part of it. You know, there's a lot of guys I know that have started doing it because they saw me do it. And, and I love it. I think it's fun. And I think there's a whole community that's built around it now. And I think you have to be smart, though, with it because what you just said, the access portion. If you go in and you're hunting a deer that's going to – you know he's bedding south of you. And you go in and that wind – you got a north wind. It's blowing due south. You're not going to see that deer that day. So you have to be a smart hunter to begin with to go and hunt those areas. Now, a blind squirrel is going to find a nut every once in a while and get lucky. Something's going to spook him. He's not going to be paying attention to it or whatever. But – I, and, and the reason I ask this question is because you, you see it just like mm-hmm. I do. I'm on every forum out there. I read every Facebook post. I kind of stay off of them anymore. I used to <laughs> like to argue with those guys. But the perception is it's easier to kill a deer in a subdivision when in reality, if you take the considerations that you have to take into fact, I got to make a perfect shot on a deer if I'm in uh, a suburban area because you're only you may only have 150 200 yards for that deer to go before he needs to be dead or you're in trouble you may not be able to even get him 
you got to take into account your access. And I think those compounding factors play into it just like if we go to a place on a hunting club, I can't go into this field in this time of morning because he's going to be there. And I, I, I want those kind of, I want the people listening to this to understand there's challenges on both sides of the fence. Yeah. You just ain't going out and shooting a deer off the back porch that's coming into a corn pile. I yeah. Mean, exactly. And that's the common perception that comes across. Yeah. And, it, and yeah, you're right. We hear it all the time. <laughs> I mean, it, and you know, a lot of times our response is, well, then go do it. You yeah. know that? I mean, you know, and, but it's, it's not even like a, uh, an arrogance thing. You know, it's, it's just like, right. it's like you can do it too. I mean, it's fun to go shoot 160 inch deer. They're out there to be found. You know, it's just go. You just that's, wanna, it, that's you, what we you, always say it. Just yeah, go. It's like, if you want to go knock on that door right there and ask for permission. And if they say no, go to the next one. And that's the thing is it's just, you got to be persistent. Yeah. You know, if you, if you got to be able to hear no and hear very mean no's and still have the confidence to go to the next door, right? you know, so it's, there's a mental side of it. That's a little bit different, but I think my argument to anybody is, you know, if you go shoot 160 inch deer, you know, in South Georgia, good on you. I mean, right. that, that's hard to do. Yeah. And I was like, it's, it's hard to go shoot 160 inch deer in suburban Atlanta, especially in today's age where it's not really a secret anymore. No, it's not a secret no, at all. Know. There is no secret. Yeah, behind so it. you kind of feel like you're competing with every other guy that's, trying I was going to ask that, that how, how much has that changed? How many, how, how many years you guys have been doing the suburban? I've been doing it hardcore for six years. And you and Brian started this together. Yes. Yep. And it, and it all started when I got the very first picture at that very first spot. Where I was like, that's bigger than any deer I've ever had on camera anywhere else. Right. Let's 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 start an Instagram page. Surely other people would like to see some of these deer. And originally it just started off posting some trail camera pictures of deer. And okay. then as we started getting smarter and figuring out and were able to kill some of these deer, it just kind of grew from there. But yeah, it all started from that first spot and getting that first picture. How much I was gonna I'm gonna go back to what you you and Alex were talking about. Do you think from hunting bigger parcels as you call it? where the deer are everywhere and maybe more hunters are there. Do you think those deer hunting those suburban areas uh, maybe act different to humans? Do you think they like, maybe they don't, maybe they're not as cautious or maybe they don't smell. A, I'm not saying they don't smell yeah. as good because they all, all deer smell good, but yeah. the, you it's, know where I'm going with that. Yeah. So for example, I've noticed this. If I go in and, you know, say I'm trying to put more batteries in my camera. If I go in in camo, and I'm walking quiet, and I'm trying not to be heard, <laughs> every deer in those woods is going to blow at me. They're going to freak out. If I go in in shorts, sweating after a workout, talking on my cell phone really loud, they'll stand there, they'll look at me, I'll change the battery, and I'll leave, and they'll be on that camera within 15 seconds of me leaving because they're used to seeing that. Right. They know the difference between somebody that's trying to sneak up on them and kill them or somebody that's barbecuing on their back porch and their kids are making a lot of noise. They live every day cha being chased by a predator. Exactly. Don't act like a predator. Exactly. And, I mean, I've literally, I've literally gone in to change a camera, had a shooter there. Not, I didn't know they were there. Right. But I was going in and I was like, oh, man, there he is right there. But I was in normal clothes, and I wasn't being quiet, probably the middle of the day. And, I was, and I'd leave. I'm like, man, why is it that I can, I can be in here in full camo, 
and you know he is he smells me he wins me he's gone i mean it's just, it's just something weird about it it's the combination of yeah i smell you they always smell you they know you're there it's just whether or not they perceive you as a threat <laughs> and the guy that's blowing leaves out of his yard's never been a threat he's seen it all of his life but the guy that comes in in camo looks a lot like that guy that shot and missed at him two years before. I mean, that's essentially how it yeah. – Well, that, that makes perfect sense, <laughs> and we've talked about this before. I feel like going to Illinois – or let's just say hunting in Georgia. These deer around here seem like they walk around looking up. Yeah. You go to Illinois, they just – I don't know if it's because the cover's not above them like it is here. They're just kind of normally walking. So you can be 12 feet off the ground up there, and they're not like – they don't yeah. all of a sudden look straight up at you, you know. So I didn't know how much <laughs> that was a difference here. You know, it – it hasn't been super dramatic. There hasn't been a huge difference in my eye. I mean, I kind of feel like if you know if you don't if you don't have a good backdrop and you don't have anything to break you up, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna pick you up if you make any sort of crazy movement. I mean, they they've seen it enough. I mean, everybody down here hunts out of tree stands, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I ground blind hunting is something that I almost completely avoid around here, especially. I mean, I feel like. You know, that just the structure itself is just so weird that they know something's up. And that's one thing about a lot of these deer in these small parcels is it's small and they know it very, very well. If you go in and cut limbs, I mean, th- even small things like that, even if to you it doesn't seem like you did all that much, a lot of these older deer pick up on it because they live in these small parcels. They see it every day. They know every inch of it. And when something changes – they know it, and they pick up on it really quick. So you kind of have to play a game between, okay, I know I need to be in that tree to shoot that deer, but how much How much can I really do in here without ruining what I'm doing? Yeah, I was going to ask that. Have you ran into a situation where it was such a small parcel of land that you weren't able to hang a lock on or something, so you had to get creative? So it, it kind of goes back to that the question about, hunting a small parcel and worrying about the deer running on the other property. This is a good segue to that story. So there, this particular parcel that I was hunting, this is probably the most dramatic of any spot. If I tell anybody where this spot is, (laughs) they're just like, there is no way. There's just no way. I was hunting on 0.23 acres between houses, between a major highway and a road. I mean, if, if I, I mean, I could, if I literally drove you guys there right now and said, okay, I was in that tree right there when I shot that deer, you'd be like, where did he come from? You know, you'd be <laughs> like, where was he? This deer, I had, he'd kind of had a pattern that I figured out on and I get in the stand and then of course, you know, suburban air the landscape crew shows up right at prime time. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, you know? And in this particular neighborhood, there's a, uh, like a neighborhood watch car that goes around the block. And it's about every four minutes they'll come past. And I'd had this spot for like two years before I actually shot a deer there. And the whole time I'm thinking, okay, if he comes in or if the buck that I'm after comes in, what am I going to do? You know, you, you ask yourself all the time. You're like, well, I, I can shoot the deer and I can go ask them for permission to retrieve the deer. So I'm like, I'll worry about it when I get there. But I was always in the back of my head worried that I was going to have to do that. <laughs> And I just remember I was in the stand. I had a buck that was pretty patternable. Landscape crew shows up. They're mowing the grass. I think the night's ruined. And I swear to you, they hadn't, they lifted in the trailer truck, drove off. It hadn't been 15 seconds 
the deer pops up out of the bottom in this tiny little patch of woods that that's the only patch he probably could have been in in this particular area but you couldn't hunt it because it was county you could not hunt on that property period and sure enough this deer pops up out of the bottom runs across this front yard comes right up to me and I just remember as I was drawing back, I was like, okay, I don't know what's about to happen. I don't, you know, I don't know if I'm about to just, you know, have a streak of red going across the street and have some lady freak out. But I took the shot and I kid you not, this deer ran down to the bottom of this hill. Not, it's not even 30 yards, not even 30 yards to the street. This deer runs down the hill and he dies and his nose is leaning off the curb and touching the concrete. <laughs> and literally that neighborhood watch car had gone past like 30 seconds before I took that shot. And I didn't, I didn't ask what I hung the bow. I basically jumped out of the tree, ran down the hill, grabbed the deer, pulled him up far enough, covered him with like three feet of leaves <laughs> And then hightailed it back up the hill and jumped into the bushes. Not because there was anything wrong with what I did, but I didn't want to bring any attention to the sure. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. that. And I just remember as soon as I dove into that bush, that car drove past. And I was just like, oh. I, was just, I was just like, thank God. Thank God he didn't cross that street. And I called Brian. And I was like, hey, man, I shot a deer over here. I need you to come help me. He's like, he's like, well, did it run, you know, across four houses? I mean, there's nowhere for it to go. I go, you just got to wait till you get here. And I remember he pulled up in the driveway, and I was like, "I was like, you see him?" And he's like, "He was looking, <laughs> he's looking." He's like, "He goes, is it the four foot leaf pop?" <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I, was like, I was like, "Yeah, I had to bury him in a bunch of leaves so that everybody in the world wouldn't see him." Oh, but, yeah, that's good stuff. That's, yeah. a, that's a good story. Yeah, and I and I think that you know, it. it we always fear the worst mm -hmm. of what's going to happen, and it's pretty cool. You didn't have to worry about it. It kind of changed. Me, it would have ran across that <laughs> into the neighbor's yard, two or three other neighbor yard past that, and there I, I'd have been. I think I would be more nervous, even even <clears throat> if I did gain permission, I think I would be more nervous if, if I was going in there in the morning, if it's 4 o'clock in the morning with my lights and getting out, shutting truck doors and worrying about alarms or floodlights and all that stuff coming on, that I would like actually – just the the deer, I would worry about the deer, but I, I don't know. It, just, it feels weird when you're pulling up at somebody's house, even though you have permission. Yeah, and especially this one. I mean, I was literally like, you know, every time I walked in, you know, there's times where I'm standing there and they let the dog out and the dog's sitting under the tree. <laughs> because, I mean, I'm literally, I couldn't get any closer to their house. There wasn't any other trees to get into. Right. So it, it's funny the kind of weird things that you run into doing that kind of stuff. Have you started saddle hunting now that that's... You know, I haven't, I haven't done that yet. I'm thinking about it because there are some spots that are just, are just such a pain to try to get a stand in, you know, and actually lug in a stand and just having the flexibility of doing hanging hunts a lot easier. I mean, it makes sense in a lot of ways. I haven't done it yet, but I probably will. This what are you hunting season. out of on most of these places? All of them are millennium lock-ons. Okay. All of them. You okay. generally hang presets and yeah. 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 And for most of these spots now, I, between seasons, I don't have to do a whole lot of, oh, let's r change up the game plan and go here. Most of these stands, it's the only place I, they're kind of set. I mean, yeah. there's nothing else you can do. So, I mean, I take them down every year just because I don't want the straps to get dry rot and stuff like that. But most times, they're back in the same tree year after year. There's not a whole lot of changing up. I have, I do have a quick question uh, real quick about uh, shooting deer in, in those areas because I've always wondered about this. If you shoot a deer, you know, and, and as – 
as bow hunters, we know you don't always make the perfect shot. If you ran into that situation where you're like, I probably need to leave that deer overnight, but you're so worried because you're on a small parcel of land that you don't know if it could be laying in somebody's driveway or something like that. So you've had to risk it and go in tracking earlier. I mean, have you run into that situation or are you just a stone cold killer and just <laughs> dropping them within sight? Well, I am a, I am a pretty dang good shot with a bow and I haven't, I haven't run into that situation on any small parcels. I've had it on some of the bigger parcels around Atlanta to where I didn't have to worry about it. But you know, I, I, I do know guys that are like, dude, like I'm afraid if I leave it overnight, some guy's going to go out and get his paper in the morning and that deer's going to be laying yeah. in his yard. And, you know, I rather be the one to knock on his door and let him know that there's a deer in his yard rather than him find it. And then me come, yeah. you, know, you know, it just the optics of the whole thing. You kind of got to battle with that, but I've thankfully just, I haven't had to. I've just always been curious about that. That would worry me to death. So. Do, do those homeowners let you come in there and cut any limbs, or do you try to avoid that? I try to avoid it as much as possible. I bet. And you know, in a lot of these sets too, I I don't even use climbing sticks. I use screwing steps because some of them are so open where people walk their dogs that you know I don't want anything to stand out that they can see. So and sometimes I mean maybe it's the first ten feet I just had the screwing steps because they're kind of low profile. But yeah, <laughs> do you get you some of those sticks like like we run those those running gun sticks? You can yeah. just throw them on, and then you have all your sets hung. You ain't got to worry about nobody messing with your stands. Yeah. I mean, do you yeah. take many coyotes? I have taken a pretty good bit, and that's what I was I was gonna say the story too. One of the the first things I ever shot with a bow, it was in Kansas, and I mean I remember I had to. Sh- I, my dad's like, I'll get you a bow in your ten eleven, shoot it for a couple years, and then I'll take you somewhere. So I remember by the time we went on that trip to Kansas, I'd been shooting that bow for two years, like clockwork every day. I mean, and we had a, a pretty big power line behind the house. So, I mean, I was I was airing that sucker out, trying to shoot like 100 yards with a bow with super low poundage. So, I mean, it's like arcing like crazy by the time you got to shoot it. And the first time I ever gotten to the stand with a bow, I had a coyote come in in Kansas, and it was at 72 yards. And I was like, this is no different than shooting those targets on the power line. I was like, it's a coyote. I'm not worried about it. So again, I shot that thing at 72 yards. I was like 13. <laughs> and I just, I know my dad came and picked me up. And he's saying, okay, so the stand's there and the arrow's here. <laughs> you know, he was putting it together. He's like, that's a, that's a dang good shot. <laughs> so, you know, and as the bows have gotten progressively better and everything, I, I don't think I've shot a deer in the last five years that ran more than 30 yards. Swear. And I I think it's a combination of using, I think, Grim Reaper. I I shoot, I shoot the Grim Reapers, man. And I swear, especially since I've started using those, it's like putting a, you know. It blows a hole in it. Yeah, I mean, it's like crazy. He's left-handed, too. I can tell by his movement. Oh, you left-handed? I'm left-handed, which is weird because I was a right-handed pitcher. You're all right, dude. Even though you shoot a Matthews, you'll be all right. I'm a lefty, too. What is your full setup? So I have the HHA single pin and, you know, Matthews quiver, Matthews stabilizer, and pretty much everything Matthews from that point on. Okay. Yeah, the only custom thing on it is really the What arrow? Uh, I think I'm shooting. I think it's the Easton. I can't remember. I think it's the Valkyrie. Okay, pretty sure. Yeah, uh, four fletch. Does your dad get to hunt much of these suburban areas with you? <laughs> uh, he 
he's you know he's gotten to that age where he he shot a couple good deer and he he loves doing it but he's not as hardcore as I am and I swear it seems like every year I'm like okay dad I got a giant he's patternable just get in there and hunt he's always got something he's got to do so I mean he's kind of a convenience hunter at this point <laughs> right. so it part of me it bugs me because I want to give back you know for all the years that he let me shoot deer that he could easily shot you know so I want him to have that but you know he just Oh, you know, I've shot enough deer. You know, it's fine, whatever. But he does sometimes. He does sometimes. Yeah. What's your biggest buck to date? It'll be that 155 that I shot this year. That was the second one, correct? That was the first one. Oh, the first one? First one. Okay. Yeah. You got two over 150 this year from from Cherokee County, right? No. Both Cherokee, right? Both Cherokee. That's amazing. Both Cherokee. Where do you where do you guys see yourself going in the next five years with suburban whitetails? The me personally, you know, I don't have kids yet. We'll probably, you know, next couple of years. I'm sure that'll be something for us to worry about. But for right now, you know, I see doing a whole lot more filming. Okay. You know, we occasionally will do it, but we really haven't dedicated ourselves to. I'm not shooting this deer unless I get it on camera. You know, shooting light. You know, I feel like in the place we were at. You know, from now past, it's like, you know, if it wasn't good camera light, but we could still get the shot, we would have shot the deer. And, you know, that's something that differentiates a lot of guys that do film. There's guys that will walk away from a deer if they can't get it on film. And I haven't been prepared to do that yet. I'm <laughs> so, not doing that. I film and I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing that either. So. We, we all started filming this year, and that was one thing we all said. Now, low camera light or the deer comes in quick or something, Hey, sorry, hate it. You know, this is what it is. That camera was. I, I turned yeah. it on. I put it where I thought he was going, and that was the last thing on my mind was that camera. I was like, "It's here. If it gets it, great." And now looking back, I'm like, "We should have took a little more time and got that yeah. camera on him a little better." Because I got him killed, but you know, that's the difference. I think you you put it into your mind, and we've had that conversation with a lot of guys that are they're they're hunters, and there's guys that like to film and. You know, Nick and I went hunting earlier this year together, and the deer came in the totally wrong direction, and it got run underneath us. And he never asked, "Was it, did you got him on camera?" He's at full draw, and it's easier when you have two yeah. people. You know, you're sitting together, and and I think it does make it funner. But do you do you think Nick that you take away from the story not getting that kill on camera? Um, I don't, and if I, if I feel like if I need to add something to it, I feel like I could go back in there and. And do a voiceover or something like that. I don't, I, I don't mean, think so. I mean, I, I don't. I don't think so. Most people, like I, I've said this numerous times to to both of you guys, uh, uh, it's usually the lead up more than it is the kill. I feel like, you know, it's the preparation that we that we like to show. Um, of of like he like Bailey said, starting we didn't start two weeks before putting corn out. You know, we started two months before or shooting our bows. You know, that's the stuff that people don't realize that it takes to go into killing a big deer. Um, but I want to go back to very first, like we when we first started this thing, we're almost an hour in, but something I, I want to go back to talking about camping that I noticed this weekend after being in South Georgia, cause we were down there and, and the, and the young kid that was with us took a couple of does. And I think it's lost is, is those camps taught me personally how to clean a deer. And I think we're so used to now is I would just run, we'd run over at the processor and drop it off. And I think that's one thing that is lost at deer camp, um, and that's a little bit off subject from your question, but 
I think that's something that we could get back to or even share, even if you are hunting these suburban areas, you know, if you had a kid around them, somebody that maybe maybe wanting to learn, I'm not pointing you out in particular, but somebody may want to learn. I think that is something that's lost nowadays is is sitting around those camps and, and showing that young guy how to build a fire, how to uh, uh, fix something in the woods, you know, when he's out there hunting or show him how to skin that deer or why you're taking that deer off, why are you cutting that deer up that way. And and I know we talked about that on the skinning episode, but I, I don't know. I just seen that this weekend, and when you talked about camp earlier, and that just made a made a lot of sense to me. But I know I went around the world on that question. But do I think it's taken away with the video? <laughs> Sorry, you're laughing at me, but I, I don't know why I felt like I needed to say that. But I do preach on, son. <laughs> Tell me about it. Testify. <laughs> come to Illinois. Come to Illinois for a week with me and Alex. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I do. I think that. I think that's lost. And yeah, you can go to YouTube. And you can watch somebody skin a deer, but you're not going to do. You're not going to know exactly what you need to do until you're out in the field. And well, you take you just said a key thing right there that brought to to my mind from Illinois, and um, it was Josh went with us this year, and I was getting ready to you know gut my deer, and he said, "Hey, you know who taught me how to gut a deer, don't you?" I said, "Who?" He said, "Jeffro, your daddy." He really? said, "Right down there at Big Ten on the rock." He said, "He taught me." How to? He said, "I've never known how to do it." He said, he "Taught me at deer camp right there." And I think I've I couldn't tell you how many deer hunts I've been on. I'm like, "You gonna gut that thing?" And they're like, "What?" I'm yeah. gut them. I'm like, yeah. "Well, I'm not dragging that deer with them guts in it." I'm sorry, I, we got a long way to go. So you 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 let me gut it. I'm more than happy to, yeah. but we ain't dragging it with the guts. And that's in probably it. something you can't do in suburban areas or don't like to do. I mean, you probably don't want to field dress them right there. No, and. It, I've gotten to the point now where I can, I, I mean, being in the suburbs, there's usually not a processor that close by. Right. right. So I've, I've taken a lot of pride in the last couple of years of being able to do everything from the time I shoot that deer to the time I put them in the Ziploc bag and, and suck all the air out of that thing. I know how to do all of it from start to finish because I don't want to be dependent on somebody else right. to, to do that. So you, you know, have your own equipment? I have my use? own equipment to do it, my own That's grinder, awesome, vacuum cilia, the whole thing. That's good. I don't claim to be the greatest at making you know, the deer sausages and all that stuff, but you know, that was the one thing I said. If I want to do this you know, at the level that I want to do it, you know, I need to be able you know, if any, like you said, if, if, if a little kid wants to go hunt for the first time, I want to be able to show him from, yeah, it's not just you know, shooting the deer. It's everything that takes place after that. You know, even last night, my wife and I had tenderloin cooked in the skillet from a deer that I shot four days ago that I cleaned. You know, it, there's just a, a level a of satisfaction that you get that, yeah, you could have bought this at the store, but I promise you it tastes better when you do everything, <laughs> you know, I, do the whole right. whole whole nine yards. It has a better taste to it because you have more invested in it. Yeah, that's you know? expensive but deer. That's expensive I think meat. everything <laughs> we're saying, though, goes back to what you ask. I don't think getting the kill on camera means as much as doing all the prep work at the front end and the back end that people really need to see nowadays because anybody can go out and pull the trigger on something um gun or bow wise and, and get that done but do they really know what do they really know what it takes on the front end or the back end to get that done or the enjoyment out of it that we're getting or the excitement well and I've said it time and time again and it's I don't care what anyone else does I don't think we do any justice taking a kid out there and throwing them in a blind and letting them kill a deer. I yep. mean, I think you have to teach them as they go, and you'll see a, a, a drive in them, just like what you said, those struggles. You struggle for two and a half years without killing a deer, because, and you wanted to go. 
It wasn't because you got to go out there and kill a deer on that first set. And I think that plays into a lot of our loss of hunters. They feel like the only thing there is to do is go out there and kill a deer. Mm -hmm. You take that kid out there at five years old, you let them pull the trigger. Okay, what did you teach them? There's nothing taught there. And that's my opinion well, <laughs> on it, and I don't, you know, anybody can think what they want to on it, but that's well, not I'm about my... to put a video out, and you and y'all both watched it earlier. I'm about to put a video out on YouTube that I done this weekend, <laughs> and I'm going to get a lot of hate for not letting this kid shoot this deer. I just didn't feel like I, it, the deer was in the right place, you know. And maybe maybe I was wrong, but that kid may look at those deer different going forward. Hey, I, that deer needs to be in a certain place before I shoot it. You know, and I got I got us. He killed. He ended up taking a doe the next morning, and I got him cleaning that doe on camera. So I'm gonna put all that in the video so people know. And you can probably see us over there showing him like how to use the knife. He's 14 years old, so I mean stuff like that. That's that's what people. I think that's what people need to see. Um, so if you guys do start videoing, you know, I think that's I think that's more important. That's what I want to see. Well, you notched up tenfold in my book when you told me you processed your own deer. Yeah. I mean that's yeah. a I'm telling yeah. you because. Perception, reality, whatever you want to call it, the perception of people hunting in suburban areas is they're just out there being killers. Mm -hmm. That's it. And that's exactly <laughs> what I wanted you to tell the story, and you've yeah. done a fantastic job doing that. And the way that you deliver yourself and the way that you carry it through, I mean, you've made me a fan by sitting here and talking. And I mean that wholeheartedly because it is a perception from everyone out there that it is easier to kill a deer in a subdivision. It is easier to kill a deer in these urban areas when in reality it's no easier. There's different challenges, but the fact of the matter that you're taking your own deer and your process, cause you own it. When you kill that deer, it's yours and you're taking it from start to finish. Hey, I mean, I can't, my hat's off to you. No kidding there, <laughs> yep. man. I'm, I'm, I'm a hunter. I'm a fan. So <laughs> appreciate it. I appreciate it. Do you that. try to keep them all? Or do you try to donate some of them? So, I think earlier I said, you know, some of the the homeowners are like, yeah, you can hunt here, but you know, I, I want at least one of the, you know, one of the deer. Will and you I'm, process it for them? I'll process it for them unless okay. unless they're like, you know, when I tell them I do it, you know, they don't, you know, they they're, don't know they're you afraid yet. I'm going to half yeah. wing it and set it out in the sun, let it get hot, and then you know, I wouldn't do that, but they don't know that. So in those cases, I'd be like, yeah, I'll I'll go get it professionally processed for you, I was like, but I can do it, you know, but. Typically, it's worth paying the guy to do it professionally for what I get to do. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I do oh, it. yeah. It's pretty yeah. good trade off. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, not having to pay for a lease and a whole bunch of other stuff, mm -hmm. it's well worth it. You know, a lot of these houses, I, you know, I don't pay for any of them. I never like, oh, here's some money if I can hunt it. But if it came down to it for some of them, it's totally worth it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, well, and I'm sure you're you're the kind of guy, if you pull up to go hunting and they're unloading groceries or something, you're like, hey, let me help you get those groceries yeah. and stuff, or, you know, help them carry those things in. And that probably goes a long way in building those relationships. Oh, yeah. I mean, if, you know, any of the houses I knock on that has a little boy or little girl that plays baseball, I can't tell you that how many times I said, well, I want you to play catch, you know, with my son. You know, you played baseball at Georgia Tech or give him some pointers, things like that. And I enjoy it because, honestly – some of the biggest anti-hunters that I know are people that let me hunt now. Yeah. Because, like you said, changing the perception. I mean, I, I came in, I asked for permission. Sometimes they said no, and the more they thought about it, they gave me a yes. And, I mean, after one year of seeing what I do and how I do it, they become believers. You right. know, whether they want to actually pick up a bow and go do it themselves, probably not. But they have a whole lot more respect for what I'm doing and they appreciate it. And, you know, 
I honest to God believe if, if, if another anti-hunter were to say something in front of them, they would probably say, no, it's not what you think. I think really if you, dr- I think if you start guys start video and you start driving that, I think it would be a huge for you guys because people need to hear that because there's so many people out there that don't, you know, they don't know what hunting is yeah. and you're in a perfect place for the doors that you're knocking on. You know, we could probably go up here to anybody's door around here and maybe not nowadays, but before, and they'd just say, shoot, yeah, go on. But you're in a place where it is like you're you're probably nervous walking yeah. out every door. Yeah, and it's funny too because it always starts. You know, uh, they're wondering why I'm knocking on their door asking to, to shoot deer. Yeah. yeah, and you know sometimes they get it because like yeah we see deer, but they it, this is my favorite part is when they go there's just a bunch of does like I don't know what you I was like I was like give me one week give me one week and I'll send you a picture of a deer that just blow your mind. And almost every single time, you know, I'll send the homeowner a picture. He's like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, he normally he ain't going to walk out where you're going to see him like all these other does. He's there because all those does are there, but he's not going to show himself to you. And it's just funny to kind of seeing them sort of have the realization of what I'm really doing. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just it's fun to see them transform over time to the point where by the time I do shoot the deer, when I'm walking out of the woods, they know the deer's name. You know, they, you know, they're like, did you get him? You know, they become invested in it and yeah. it's kind of fun because they're, yeah. you feel like they're sitting in the house just like rooting for you, you know, yeah. it's kind of fun. Here's a question. If you have got, if you have gained a permission on a piece of ground like that and just say they got a, a nephew or a cousin that may hunt, but he's never thought about hunting over there. Will you send that picture to him? Have you got kicked off of that piece for that? You know, I haven't, I haven't gotten kicked off of pieces like that. You know, it is a, a worry of mine, and, and usually for those kind of situations, I play it a little bit closer to the vest. Not that you know, not that I, if if the kid asked me, "Hey, can can you take me out there and shoot a deer?" I would. Yeah, you know, there's no way I'm not gonna sure you know, let somebody have that experience, especially you know half the time I'm hunting places where I'm like, I wonder why your grandson or your <laughs> son or anybody isn't hunting back here. Yeah. And there's some cases where I'm like. There's a great deer back here. I'm not going to shoot that deer. I have a better deer somewhere else. But, you know, if your son or somebody would love to get in there and shoot that deer, I'd be more than happy to let you shoot it in my stand. And, you know, and half the time they turn me down just because they don't, you know, they don't realize it. And I, I think that's part of it. It's the houses for the people that don't care about shooting deer that have the biggest deer. And that's yep. for a reason. That's right. That's right. That's all. Is, is there anybody in the outdoor industry that you look up to personally? Uh, I, I would have to say it's Michael Waddell. Yeah. I mean, I've been to a couple events that he's been at and got to introduce myself and talk to him, and he's just, you know, to be the kind of guy that he is, he feels like anybody else around the hunting camp. Mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't have an ego, you know, doesn't big league you, to put it in baseball terms. You know, yeah. he, he treats you just like anybody else. And I, I, I appreciate the way he carries himself, the way he represents the outdoor industry. And he's just a, a, a fun guy. I mean, I, I, I just I, – I've enjoyed the times that I've met him. And I think if there's one person that I had to pick, I'd probably pick Michael Waddell. I got gotcha. you. Well, you ready? Um, as we're winding up here, man, I always ask a couple guys ending questions here. Um, what's one piece of advice that you would just share with someone? One piece of advice. It can be anything, man. Hmm. What's, what's Bailey Combs' go-to piece of advice? Not to put you on the spot or anything. <laughs> no, no, I, I love it. I love it. Um, you can keep it hunting related if you want. I, I think I can go a little bit bigger than that. Okay. Um, 
You know, one thing that always stuck with me, you know, that my dad used to always say is that setbacks pave way for comebacks. And I've experienced that with baseball and having arm injuries. I've experienced that with shooting and missing at deer, you know, all kinds of things. And I think one thing that I would tell young people is that, you know, the hard things that hit you and the, the, the trials and tribulations that come along in your life, they all have a place and a purpose, you know, to mold you into the better version of yourself. It's, it's just like cutting a knife or sharpening a knife. You know, you can't, you can't sharpen a knife and make it better without friction. So try to see all of the, the trials and the hard things that you're going to as you becoming the better version of yourself and seeing it as an opportunity to be the best version of yourself. It gave me a whole lot of satisfaction to go from having Tommy John surgery to pitching against the University of Florida in a regional game against Peter Alonzo. You know, it you see that full transition. It's like it would have been really easy for me to to get down on myself and say, I'm done. You know, I'm having Tommy John surgery, I hadn't played one game in college yet. You know, I'm still a high schooler. But I didn't, you know, because of what my dad told me, you know, I was like, why does that have to be the story? Let's make sure that's not the story. Let's do something else. So make sure that, you know, your setbacks pave way for comebacks. Drop the mic, son. (laughs) (laughs) That was good, man. That was really good. Hey, uh, what are you most thankful for? Most thankful for? I would say, I would say God first and then my family. There you go. You know, I grew up in a Christian household. You know, my parents raised me right. They, you know, Gave me a far better life than they ever had. They kind of broke the cycle for certain things that they had to go through. So I, I have appreciation of where I could be versus where I am. And, you know, my family, you know, I'm one of those guys where I can go have dinner with my mom and dad and be just as happy, you know, as if I was having with my best friends. You know, it's just yeah. some of my friends are like, man, I, I don't even, I can see my parents like once every three months and I'd be fine. I, I genuinely love to be with my, you know, my wife, my parents, my brother, um and uh, yeah those are by far the most important that's awesome Awesome. anybody um you want to give a shout out to or uh, recognize on here definitely want to give a shout out to brian whitney my buddy that started suburban white till with me just such an awesome guy he's been an awesome dad you know through this first season so he married the girl he married his name savannah uh she was my like lifelong best friend uh and i remember you know our whole life, I was like, whoever you marry, I got to like the guy. <laughs> you know, I didn't have a little sister, but she, I was always kind of that protective, you know. And, it, man, it wasn't 30 seconds after we met, we were talking about deer, and I was like, all right, I already sign off on this guy. We're good. <laughs> and that was before suburban whitetail was even a thing. You know, that first night we were already having conversations about deer hunting, and it kind of led to where we are now. And I definitely want to give him a shout-out. You know, they, him and his wife just had their first baby, and he's been a great dad and spent a lot of time with family and not in a deer stand, even when it was really hard. And so I was super pumped when he shot that deer. It was like, I think that's his only sit this year. Wow, one sit, wow. one sit and shot that deer. So uh, nobody deserved that deer more than him. So definitely give him a shout out, especially since he didn't get to be here tonight. So, and, and where can everybody find y'all stuff? You can find us on Instagram. We have YouTube, we do have a YouTube channel. There's a couple videos on there. We don't film prolifically yet, but we plan to. But you can find us on Instagram at Suburban Whitetail. Awesome. Well, Bailey, I appreciate you coming over, man, and answering a call. I know it took us a little while to get going. 
And congratulations on those two fine Cherokee County deer, man. Well, I appreciate it, guys. You know, I always always love talking to hunters. So it, this feels like anything. You know, I, I yeah, love just, it, man. It, we try to keep it like a campfire around the camp. Yeah, you know, well, I so. I think, you know, we we definitely have some relationships developing. I look forward to keeping in touch with you guys. And who knows, maybe you guys can climb in a tree in Atlanta here soon. We can get <laughs> you guys coming. So. No, I definitely appreciate you coming out. I've I've always enjoyed the that the aspect of hunting, and I've had some minor some success around Canton, um, doing some suburban stuff. So I'm definitely a fan for sure, and uh, look forward to seeing what else y'all do. Hey, I'll go climb a tree in Atlanta. <laughs> I ain't scared. Yeah, you guys will just have to remember us small people when you guys are blowing up and all over the place. Number one on. <laughs> Every streaming platform. Yeah. <laughs> I like the way you think. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, maybe we'll do a maybe we could do a, a campfire series, uh, suburban whitetail edition. Y'all guys, do you, you don't want to start a podcast? You just come on <laughs> once a week and kind of give us an update on what the inner cities, uh, how it's looking for everything. There so, you go. But no, there like uh, like Nick and Cody said, um, very educational. I think you present yourself in a positive manner. Um, not to take anything away from anybody who's hunting in the suburban areas. And I know there's some hard questions there, but I wanted to ask them because the the reality of the situation is you're hunting just as hard, if not harder, than anybody else that we talk to. And you're putting the time in. You're gaining uh, the permission. You're, you're working those properties. You're doing the recon. You're doing the intel. And the one thing I want people to take away from this is it doesn't matter if you live in the city or you live in the country. You can process your own game. You can do that, and it is capable of being able to be handled by yourself. And if you don't know how to do it, you can reach out to some of these guys, and we'll teach you how to do it. It's been something that's been a passion of mine my entire life, and and, and I know once you start doing it for yourself, it's so much more rewarding. It really does carry with it. Yeah, and I think one piece, too, just sort of probably a good way to – for me to close out too is the whole conversation between hunting the suburbs and your traditional go out to a farm and you know as hunters we already have enough things against us you know from the media to you know politics you know the, we need to all be on the same team whether you shoot a deer in a backyard or you shoot a deer on a thousand acres in south georgia we all need to remember that we're all on the same team and a house divided can't stand. We already got enough things against us. So I would encourage everybody to come together. And if, you know, if you've never shot a deer in a suburban, find somebody that does and go try it for yourself before you make any assumptions and vice versa. You know, there's different challenges and it makes it fun. It's, it's a game. It just has different pieces. So it's awesome. Well, Nick, that brings us down to the final spit of the night. And tonight, you know, we've been fortunate enough to learn from a different perspective a, re a reality of us being able to understand where we can all find our happy place in the woods, whether we're chasing deep timber bucks or suburban giants, we all have a vested passion. Chase what we love, how we love, and do it for what we want it to be in the end. But leave behind a legacy bigger than you imagined and always continue to pursue your dreams. From all of us here at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to thank the suburban whitetail guys. We want to thank them for being here with us tonight. And I promise this won't be the last time these boys is on with us. So y'all come back and be with us when you can. And remember, smile as you go, and don't forget, mount the memories. <laughs>